You are now listening to For All Nerds Show, a podcast about geek and pop culture from the perspective of people of color. For All Nerds is hosted by DJ Ben Amin and Tatiana Keen Jones. For All Nerds Show is a member of the Loudspeakers Network, where we always say rest in peace to our founder, Combat Jack. For All Nerds Show is powered by our listeners. Everything we do from our podcasts, live events, our website are all independently funded. Please continue to support us through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash for all nerds. Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. And what's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the For All Nerds Show. Ha. The voice of the urban geek, the podcast that distresses geek culture from the perspective of people of color. And as always, it's your host, DJ Ben Amin, a.k.a. the Beverly Trillbilly, Soldier 70 Spliff, Hash Ketchum, the Kevin Bacon of the Internet's Meat Mill House, Trinidad Bane. You can love me now. You sure? That's it. <laughs> you don't want to have 30 more? I'm pretty you sure. 30 more to say. Nah, our intros are getting a little long lately, so I'm going to keep it short <laughs> and introduce my co-host. Tatiana King-Jones, the Grand Duchess of Tech, also known as Beretta Scott King, Chance the Parappa, Jay Prince of All Saiyans, Father Stretch My Bands, and the Ting of the North. Mm-hmm. You just say that so our editor can add that sound effect to it every week. Yeah, that's the thing now. You got to do it. <laughs> got to do it. Welcome, folks. It's another episode of the For All Nerds show. And like I said before, our intros have been getting a little lengthy lately. So I'm just going to get right into it. Thank you all for joining us as always. Hope you're all good and safe staying home out there. Now the fourth week of our Estate Pod Radio over here on the show as we are all social distancing and staying at home and staying healthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Staying positive and happy for real, too, because that's been the biggest challenge, I think, for a lot of people out here. Yep. It's just a challenge that you have to keep fighting against and using all of the tools that we've shared with you. Sometimes you guys have given us some tips. Use that to try to push through the uh, struggle. Mm-hmm. And you can make sure you check out last week's episode with the professor himself, Mr. Big underscore Data underscore Kane on Twitter and all social medias out there. My man came through and dropped all the knowledge. Brandon dropped the knowledge. Professor, I, you know, I just like saying professor. Dropped all the knowledge on the COVID, on the corona, on the rona. Everything you need to do, everything you need to know. And broke it down in a way that all of us can understand. And I just want to thank him for coming through for that. That was a beautiful episode. Everybody's been hitting us up, telling us how much that episode meant to them. And thank you all for listening and you know, getting some information that I feel like we all need right now. Definitely, definitely. Big facts. Big, Big facts. facts. And, uh, you know, before we get into the geek news of the week, I just want to talk about a little something, you know, because we've been talking about staying positive and all the energy that you need to have to make it through something like this. And the longer this goes on, the more it becomes like an unknown situation to everyone out there. It feels like something you, we've all never been through before. And even though I've had a wild-ass life, I can't really compare this to any other moment in my life either. You know, I feel like this is something I've never been through like the rest of us. But one thing I was thinking about this week, right, is how in every zombie movie, every apocalypse movie, you know, you go down the line from like The Walking Dead to the original Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, 
to like I Am Legend, on and on and on, mm-hmm. it's never the zombies that are the biggest problem. You know, like in The Walking Dead, they make it real apparent at one point where Rick gives a speech and he's like, we are The, the Walking, Walking Dead. Dead. Oh, that was a really bad Rick Grimes. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know what that accent was, but okay. Look, Rick Grimes never knows what accent he's doing either. Don't, Coral. Don't, yeah, don't act like that Australian man is pulling off an Atlanta accent either because he definitely isn't. But um, yeah, it's all, it's never the zombies that's a problem. And that's what I was thinking about this week, right? Like, COVID in this situation represents the zombies, right? The Rona is like the zombies. Mm-hmm. And what we've been seeing is it's not the zombies, it's not the Rona that's the real problem. Sure, you know, it's a deadly virus, et cetera, et cetera. But the problem is people. And that's what we have to worry about. You know, it's like the silliness of people, people being sad, people being negative, people being stressed out and letting this situation get the better of them. And that's why we always talk about being positive, you know, staying healthy, staying aware, always knowing what's going on, but not listening to too much nonsense and too much stuff that is going to bring you down. You know, we say, yo, you know, keep it light on the social media because I know all of us have been sitting on our phones just looking for information, looking for hope, looking for anything. But we keep talking about how you got to find out in yourself and not to let other people drag you down. And that's something that I've just been really paying attention to this week myself mm-hmm. because I was really thinking about that. I'm like, yo, it's always the other people. And, you know, so far I haven't had to deal with, like, roving biker gangs or some other wild <laughs> shit that like, happens on, like, Walking Dead. But I have had to deal with negativity from people, you know, and just negative energy that I just really don't need. And I don't feel like we've all got bigger issues right now. So, you know, we really don't need any more negative energy from just random people out there and stuff. So that's my thing where I'm like, yo, like I said, it's more like, you know, Walking Dead, et cetera. It's not the zombies you have to worry about. And even though we do have to worry about the Rona and we got to stay home, but once again, you see the people who aren't staying home are the ones who are causing this problem to be worse. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like with the zombies. You know, zombies are easy to deal with, but then there's always some jackass who wanders off and gets eight. And then there's two zombies to deal with. And then, you know, some other jackass. And then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's all I'm saying. Don't wander off and get eight. Stay at home. Make sure you are good. You know what I mean? Like, straight up. Like, I'm being for real here. Like, you know, don't, you know, don't be the problem. You know, be the solution. Help others out. Don't cause problems for others. Okay, I like that. At first, at first you, you almost lost me for a minute. But then you got me at the end. You got okay. me at the end. Yeah, they, they had us in the first half, not going to lie. <laughs> had us in the first half. <laughs> not going to lie. All right. Well, as long as I pulled it together by the end, I'm glad you understood me. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great uh, message, Ben. I mean. Thank you very much. Um, In some real geek news, though, once again, it's another week of, have you ever had your shit pushed back? Because, um... <laughs> Training day? You don't know training no, day? No, I know what you're you, talking about. You ever had your shit pushed back? I know yeah, well, exactly what um, you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, right now, Marvel is having they ish pushed back, folks. Pretty much everything down the line from the film slate got pushed back, starting with Black Widow, which is now November 6th of this year. Eternals, February 12th of next year. Shang-Chi, uh, I mean, yeah, it just goes on, you know. So, yeah. the updated release schedule, how is this going to affect the entry or non-entry of new characters or will it affect it like what do you mean like for example just from a timing perspective maybe they you know and i'm just i'm also saying this with the assumption that not only are these dates going to continue to move but certain things might (laughs) even be switched so yeah 
That being said, like, I wonder if there were certain movies where they plan to introduce XYZ character and then now that gets thrown out the window because they got to wait an extra year. Like, mm. like how and, and and I'm thinking also in the context of the broader production schedule as well. So mm-hmm. I wonder, like, how does this change things? And I mean, that's the question. And and I guess trying to answer my own question, I'm like, well, maybe this will help their, the creative side. Because if anything, you're giving people more time to be even more creative or tap into new thoughts that they didn't have before. Mm. Well, okay. I know what's the name? Sebastian Shaw has already said that production on Winter Soldier, Falcon and the Winter Soldier got pushed back because they weren't done shooting or anything. So they're going to have some extra time. But like you said, the real issue here becomes with uh, what is it? Okay, Doctor Strange closely ties into Scarlet Witch and Division, to WandaVision. Okay. And as well as, I think, another one of their series, but definitely really close to WandaVision. So now Doctor Strange is what? Coming out next year? Uh, right now it says November. Next November, Jesus. November 2021. Oof. I mean, that's, that's a big one because like, WandaVision was supposed to drop this year, right? Yeah. End of this year. So are they going to drop that end of this year and then have Doctor Strange come, that's you know. That's my question. <laughs> like a year from now. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I, I don't think so. Yeah, and, and from what I understand, none of the uh, Disney Plus series were finished production yet when all shut down, you know, went down. So that's, unless they're working remotely somehow and finishing right. it up that way, it's, yeah, right. I think everything gets pushed back. This is more so just Disney Plus related, but then what does that mean for The Mandalorian as well? mm don't 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 say that. <laughs> That's you shut your mouth. <laughs> your reaction. Don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. I didn't expect that sound. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was pure pain and hurt. Yeah. He said, oh. <laughs> yeah, that was oh. Oh, oh, no, not Rosario. No. Um, in some other no news, <laughs> Sony revealed the new uh, PS5 controller. Wait, it does not look just, it looks like an Xbox controller. <laughs> you, you hadn't seen it yet, I guess. <laughs> well, you know what was funny? Now that I'm like really staring at this, I did see this. I saw this this morning in my timeline and I was just mm. scrolled right past it because I was mm-hmm. like Xbox, whatever. Yep. I scrolled past it very quickly. Now, mm-hmm. looking at this from all sides, this is an Xbox controller. This is like an Xbox Pro X super efficient version. Yes. And they've changed the name on it from, it used to be the DualShock uh, Dual controllers. Sense. Yeah. Mm. I, mean, I mean, I like that. Because DualShock, you know, I always hated, I always turned that shit off right away. That old, um, you know, shock in my the hands. Rumble? Yes. What are you talking about? Since the N64 Rumble has been essential. What do you no, mean? No, no. I, 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 this is what I do. Like I, I adjust it. Like on, like NBA, you can have it where you feel every dribble, and that is like so excessive. So I'll turn that off. Well, I understand yeah. that. Like, and and see, this this is what you woke me up on. Now we're gonna have a fight about Rumble in the in the game <laughs> in the game control. Your N64 Rumble, that was like, oh my god, that was a torture device. But listen, I understand. To okay, there are. Instances, right? Like, yes, like, uh, uh, excuse me, um, bouncing a basketball. That's annoying because it's repetitive. It's the same movement in a short period of time. Get it? Yes. But you can't tell me Rumble does not enhance 95% of every other game. Facts. Yeah. All right. Because when my battery's still low on Overwatch and I can't feel, you know, the rockets coming out, it's a different, you know, it's like a different game. It hits different. The Rumble helps with the immersive. 
is, is immersivity a word? Maybe I made that up. But the there immersiveness of the game there we go. is really uh, uh, helped by Rumble. So. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, this does look like an Xbox controller, but it still looks cool. It looks okay. <laughs> like. Yeah, I like it. I like the it. Only, it. I mean, and I understand that this is a render, so maybe that's why, but it looks pretty nondescript, actually. Yep. Like, I know it has the PS logo and all that stuff on it, but it just, it looks like the default. Like, yeah. you know, like you get a default character or the builder character mm. where it's just like the plain template. That's what it looks like. Yep. Definitely does. Uh, it doesn't look like much to me. I like, you know, I like the Xbox controller. It's one of my favorite controllers. I've never been a big PS, the last one's controller. I'm not a big fan of it. So, you know, this works for me. Like, you know, a little bit of change, a little bit like Xbox. Let's go for it, Ryan. You know, can't beat them, join them. Looks like a winner to me. And speaking of winners, haha, what a segue, folks. We're going to take a quick break right here because we have an absolute winner. <laughs> of an interview coming up right after this. Hey guys, it's Allison Williams. I'm an actor, and when I am not scaring people on screen, I am hanging out with For All Nerds and listening to their show. Hey guys, this is Rod and Karen of the Blackout Tales podcast, and when we are doing one of our mini podcasts, yes, we are listening to For All Nerds. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Asante, one-third of the Friend Zone, and when I am not smoking pot or playing Shinobi Striker, I am listening to For All Nerds. Tune in. What's up, everybody? This is Chuck Creekmer, a.k.a. Jigsaw from AllHipHop.com, and when I'm not placing my heavy hand on the world of hip-hop culture, I'm watching For All Nerds. Hey, this is Logan Browning, and when I'm not trying to take over Netflix, I'm listening to For All of Us. Yo, what up? This is Yahya Abdul-Mateen. The second, I play Black Manta in the Aquaman movies. And when I'm not getting around the city, I'm chilling, listening to For All Nerds. What's up, y'all? This is Anne Steven Harris, fire artist, co-creator of Aztec, fire artist on Ajala, The Fringe, Michael Cray, Watson the Holmes, don't forget Watson the Holmes, award winner of Watson the Holmes, Glyph Award, Eyes are nominated. When I'm not drawing, I am listening to For All Nerds. Check it. Hey, I'm Malcolm Lee, director of Night School. And when I'm not directing, writing, and producing, and editing and spending time with my kids, I'm listening to For All Nerds. Hey, this is Pamela Ribbon. And when I'm not writing things like My Boyfriend is a Bear or Ralph Breaks the Internet, I am listening to For All Nerds. Yo, what's up? This is Chico Leo, and when I'm not leading an Athenian revolt in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I'm listening to Four All Nerds. And welcome back, everyone. Thank you for listening, as always. And as always, the For All Nerds show brings you nothing but the best in interviews. And today, I promise you, we have oh, this is going to be something right here. Because today on the spaceship, we have one of our most illustrious guests, a screenwriter, storyboard illustrator, director of a couple of feature films you may have heard about, a native of Crenshaw, California, the director of Rise of the Guardians, and perhaps the greatest animated superhero film ever made into the Spider-Verse. Let's all welcome the living legend, Peter Ramsey himself. Yeah! Oh, hello, hello. That was, uh, okay. That, I'm just going to let, 
I'll just let you do the interview because you're going to make me sound better than I ever could. Oh, no, no. Come on now. Come on now. That, I mean, that's being, you know, that's not even getting in. We'll get into everything, but, you know, that's not even getting into some of the stuff you've done. You know, and like, you know, we said, one of the most legendary films of all time. But before we get into that, man, we got to go back to the roots. Like, you know, because I had no idea that you are from Crenshaw. Like, oh, and yeah. from Crenshaw when Crenshaw was Crenshaw. The show. Yeah, yeah. So what was that like growing up a nerd in Crenshaw? Uh-huh. Um, it was interesting. You know, the, the biggest the biggest thing about it, I think, was the lack of access to to the stuff that you were really into, other than t- you know, TV. Mm-hmm. You could see, you know, cartoons or or your rare little bits of uh man, this is when I was growing up. I mean, it's you you were seeing basically old movies. That was like the extent of of uh, of what you had as a nerd, or old wow. episodes of like Star Trek, or like right, right, you know. But it was just like it was just hit or miss. It was whatever you were lucky enough to, uh, whatever you were lucky enough to run across on TV, and then you know, bit by bit, as uh, stuff like you know Star Wars or or uh, you know science fiction and stuff like that started hitting the mainstream. There was obviously more and more, but there was no internet then, so you still had to go out and hunt for things and search for things. And you know, there were no movie theaters in my part of town after, mm. after a certain point. I remember being a really small kid. You could go. There were a few theaters in Englewood still. You know, you'd go over there, see some second or third run movies, but. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to hop on a bus and go across town to see like the new big releases and stuff like that. So it was just it was just more just more work. It wasn't as cool to be, you know, obviously a nerd as it is now. You know, it's got a little more it's got a little more cachet now. You know, it's an industry. But back then, man, you know, if you had some if you were reading the latest comic books or something, you kind of hid those in your uh, backpack or whatever. So it was. uh Oh, so it was not a badge of honor. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not at least. It was, I mean, it was like you were a nerd. That was, that's basically what it was. You know, you were, no, you're just a nerd. There's nothing cool about it. You're a nerd. So I was, I was lucky in that, you know, my dad had taught me to play basketball and football and baseball. I was like, I could kind of hold my own. So I wasn't like tragic nerd who grows up to be like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> weird outcast or something like that and uh uh yeah so it was but it was one of those things where it was, it was definitely a world that you had to kind of explore and discover on your own right and right. i had a few had a few friends who were into the same stuff but we were still like a pretty small group right so considering that resources were were, were short how did you guys get around that hurdle like you said you mentioned you had a, a group or a friends. Is this like this team that was like grabbing all the different comic books? And how did you guys get access to the things that you ended up liking? Yeah, you know, as far as comics, it was interesting. I, I there was a uh, there happened to be. I guess I was like probably what eleven, twelve when I first started. First started like really gravitating toward comic books, and there was this. Uh, there was a liquor store on. I think it was like 54th Street and 4th Ave, mm. uh, near near where where I went to elementary school, called Champs Liquor. And oh, Champs! Champs, Champs real, <laughs> real deal. And you would go into Champs and get your you know your Jolly Ranchers and your <laughs> you know your your Skittles or your Now and Laters and all that all that stuff. And they had the little 
you know, little head shop kind of smoking paraphernalia in the back and the little the black light posters with the sex signs of the Zodiac and all this stuff. <laughs> and they had in the corner, they had this rack with comic books. And wow. I had never seen that before. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. What's that? They have a whole bunch of comic books. And I'd go and they had stuff that was like four and five years out of date. Mm. So I was picking out these old Marvel comics that were like, you know, from like, like 1972 and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, what is this? And I started, you know, that's back when they were like 20 cents, 25 cents. And I just started discovering them that way. And just I, whatever they happened to have, that's what I was exposed to at Champs. So, it, and, and there was no comic book store within, you know, 10 miles of my house. So yeah. it really was kind of a hit or miss, whatever I could kind of scratch together kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it was, it was ages before I actually walked in, into a comic book store that, that that's what their business was. And that just blew my mind. Mm. So were you an illustrator before you got into comic books? Like how, cause I know you did storyboard for, you know, so much. Yeah, I, I drew. I was like, you know, the kid at school who drew and I was drawing, you know, Godzilla and dinosaurs and stuff like that. <laughs> and then I started getting into comics and that really like spun me off in a whole different direction. And I started, you know, obviously drawing comic book characters, but that led me into learning more about human anatomy and perspective and all the the basics of uh the basics of realistic drawing that you kind of need. And it, it really got me interested in, in art and in kind of a wider way, but it all, it really began with comics and that's, you know, from comics, you're also reading, like you discover, uh, Oh, Conan the barbarian. He's not just in a comic book. There's like books about him. Mm -hmm. So you go to the bookstore and you see that and you see science fiction books and you, you know, and I, I, Obviously, I'd always loved science fiction because of movies and everything. So, you know, once I really started, I had always been a big reader, but uh, I really started like discovering this whole other world of the, the literature that was out there for science fiction and fantasy and uh, start, you know, you start reading that stuff. And, and uh, it was just yeah. this process of kind of like widening and widening and widening the view mm -hmm. you you mentioned sci-fi a lot and you know obviously you you hit on star trek and star wars which what was the first sci-fi you know entry into this world for you oh it was probably when i was a really young kid just really young uh just seeing whatever science fiction movies were on tv we used to watch uh they used to have this was like i'm dating myself but this is like pre-cable <laughs> even and this was uh, they used to have on uh what was it channel nine or channel one of the local you know one of our local la stations saturday night you know friday night or saturday night at 11 they would have uh fright night with seymour and he would show there was this guy who would come out dressed in this black cape and a black hat and he would just introduce some like old horror movie from like it could be a universal horror movie frankenstein versus the wolfman or it might be Mm. You know, uh, the, the them with the giant ants or one of just these old cheap 50s B movies they would show. Yeah. And so that kind of, uh, you know, the fun of uh, seeing those things because they would just show anything. So you never knew what you were going to get. <laughs> but a lot of times you just you, it was a real fun, great movie, you know, Bride of Frankenstein or like Dracula yeah. or all the classics. So 
just starting to see those. And, uh, you know, my dad had been a fan of all that. So we would watch them together. And, uh, and then on TV, you know, you were seeing, you know, like I said, like Star Trek, but there was also the Outer Limits and the Twilight yeah. Zone. Uh, so all of that kind of stuff. And it just kind of, you know, I was a, right. I was a pretty imaginative kid. So that stuff was like candy for me. Okay, so this okay, so I'm s- kind of seeing now the ingredients of the gumbo that makes up you the comic books, the 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 stories in the comic books. You have all this sci-fi and this kind of, um, you say B movie masterpiece theater type thing. <laughs> so then you're mixing all this up. You know, you're you're living through life, and then somehow you get into the filmmaking world. Yeah, well, that was that was that took a long time. That was a thing. You know, I was a big, uh, like I said, I was a big movie fan all my life. And I, and I also the whole thing about not having movie theaters nearby meant that as, you know, as a young kid, we didn't go to the movies a lot. So when we did go, it was like a, it was a big, big event. And it was, it was, I'm not kidding. If, if I went to the movies like twice a year when I was growing up as a kid, it was a, that would have been a lot. Wow. Sitting wow. in theater with that giant screen and, you know, I didn't always even know what we were going to go see. My dad would say, oh, let's go. Oh, yeah, we haven't been to the movies in a long time. Let's go to the movies. He'd be, okay, okay, okay. And he would just look at the paper, see it was playing at the theater over in Inglewood, and we would go. And I would get there and find out what it was when we got there. But, you know, I'd see like maybe like, uh, I remember one time we saw Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Mm. That like... I hadn't seen a Planet of the Apes movie before, and it blew my mind. Uh, another <laughs> time we saw, uh, oh man, I can't remember, some crazy double, we would see these crazy double features, and one movie would be kind of appropriate for a kid, and the other one wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember like seeing these crazy things as a kid. It was like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> but, uh, but, the, but the main thing is that the impact of seeing a movie for me was like going to church. Mm. It was just this big emotional, like sen- sensation wave of sensation, kind of hitting me, and it made a, it did, uh, you know, you would, I would just get so passionate about it that I, I would think, God, I would love to be somehow a part of that feeling. Never once thinking that I could actually, you know, direct a movie or act in a movie or be in a movie. Or it, I never dreamed of any of that. That just seemed completely impossible to me. So it wasn't until I was, uh, man, I was getting close to my, my, I was, you know, I had graduated from high school and I went right into uh, college at UCLA. Oh, that's the place to be. Yep. <laughs> I, I went, well, here, the thing with me was, I, you know, I, I graduated, I was 17 and I went straight in as an art major and I didn't really understand what art was. Like, like I said, with my little science fiction books and stuff, I thought art was like what you see on like a science fiction paperback book cover or at the best you know uh you know some of the few like uh artists still working in a realist style that was like oh man that apple looks really real that guy's a real artist i did i didn't know about the broader context of art history or any of the movements or any of the philosophies or, or or theory i didn't know any of that stuff so when i got into my first studio art classes at ucla the teachers were talking about conceptual art, cubism and fauvism, all this stuff. I had no idea what they were talking about. And I, you know, I thought I was just going to learn to draw and paint real good. And these teachers, were, <laughs> you know, these teachers were teaching like classes in like photograms and like 
like just just these bizarre things that were bizarre to me which you know later i learned oh all that is part of the greater world of art but at the time it just kind of rocked my world because you know it, it wasn't it didn't fit with my conception of what art was so that me thinking of myself as an artist suddenly seemed like in doubt mm. Mm. But it was in that period that I started realizing the other big influence on me, which which what which the other big influences, which were movies and comic books, those are both narrative visual forms. And I kind of started to understand that, oh, the kind of drawing I do and the kind of art that I'm really interested in is art that is actually telling a story. So I started putting two and two together and you know, in, in a lot of my attempts to do comic books or drawings, I was trying to emulate the look of movies. And I started figuring out, God, I think it might be really movies. Mm. And uh, the, I think the thing that really made me believe that there could be a place for me in that business was that I had a few friends who were taking some film classes at a LA City College. Mm-hmm. to it, And they were talking like they were actually going to try to work in the movie business. And I was just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you're like this is an option <laughs> yeah no seriously it was like it was the crazy thing was i live i grew up maybe what 10 miles from hollywood never once did i actually think i could get a job in movies someday why didn't you mm-hmm. think that I, I i have to ask why didn't you think that no i had no contact with the uh with the uh film industry there was no uh remember this is pre-internet so you couldn't go online and and go to YouTube and look at here's how you make a movie, mm. here's how here's how to do keyframe animation. There was zero of that, none of that. I mean, my dad was a mailman, you know. My mom was a, a, a had a part time thing at, at the elementary school as a, a teacher's aide. So we didn't know anybody. We didn't. I, I didn't even know anybody who had graduated from college. Okay. Right. Okay. My world was just like not, there was no overlap with the world of people who work or know anything about movies. So the idea that I could actually do it started blowing my mind because I had, I started taking some classes myself at LACC. And it it's, it's just weird. It was totally a mental thing because I had had a Super 8 camera as a kid. I made little stop motion movies. Mm. But the idea that, you know, it's like, you're not going to, what do you mean get a job? There's the gas, the... The gas company or the, you know, you're not going to work in a movie business. That's not what you get to do. But actually seeing people nibbling around on the fringes of it started to make me see, oh, no, you actually can do it. You just have to you have to find your way in. You have to discover what what it is you want to do and start making your way in. And for me, that way, I turned out to be storyboarding because I had the drawing skills. I had honed them trying to do comics. I learned a little bit about film technique and I ended up uh, signing on with this agency that uh, represented storyboard artists for commercials and they were moving into representing uh, people for movies. Mm. Actually storyboarded commercials for like a solid year and then they got me my first movie. What was your first movie? My first movie that I storyboarded was a movie that never got made. It (laughs) (laughs) It was called The Giant. And it was about uh, it was about uh, Michelangelo carving the statue of David. Oh, so set, set in Italy during the Renaissance, and I actually got to go to Italy for the location scout. Nice. It was it was pretty 
Yeah, it was pretty wild. And, I, you know, I wasn't getting paid too much. I was super green. But I, you know, they liked what I was doing. I had enough skills because I, I had studied enough about movies on my own. I, you know, I mean, that was that was the other thing that I did when I started, like, probably, you know, a couple of years before I actually ended up uh, getting this first job. I had just started, well, shoot, I want to work in the movie business. I want to be a director someday. Mm-hmm. And I just started self-teaching myself. You know, because I, I couldn't afford to do I couldn't afford to stay at UCLA and study film there. It was too expensive to make films. This mm-hmm. again, pre-digital, you know, you yeah. couldn't take an you couldn't take an iPhone and and get and, you know, uh, scan yourself a copy of Final Cut Pro and do it on your computer. You know, you had to rent thousands of dollars of uh, you had to buy thousands of dollars film stock. You had to rent the all the equipment. You had to know how to use the equipment. You know, it's all this stuff. So if for me, it was how do I get a toehold in this industry with what I, you know, what I have? And it was drawing and that was storyboards. Mm. Now, you worked on I know, you know, I read up on your history of storyboard artists and you worked on a lot of stuff. And, you know, I could talk all day about some of them like Predator 2, you know, one of the greatest movies ever made. (laughs) But. I mean, what really blew my mind was the fact that you got to work with the late, great John Singleton as a second director on a few of his films, like Poetic Justice and Higher Learning. Like, I mean, come on, man. Like, what was that like working with John? I, it was it was wild. It was amazing. Um, I, I first met John, man, it was Boy, Boys in the Hood. And I had, I had, by that time, I had worked on maybe, I'd storyboarded two or three movies already. Maybe more than that. Had I, yeah, maybe I storyboarded maybe two or three movies. So I was starting to feel like I knew what I was doing, you know. And I was trying to figure out how to, always trying to figure out how to take the next step to get to direct something myself. So, you know, I'm on the side, I'm writing and I'm trying to scheme as how can I get some second unit work and, you know, how can I start climbing the ladder, all that stuff. Still couldn't afford to, like, you know, really put a bunch of money aside to make a film on my own because by this time I was married and we had. I think we had our first child might have been on the way. Wow. So uh, I had done a couple of these things and I, I, uh, uh, I, I meet John. I think that, you know what? I think he might've sought me out. He may have heard of, I can't remember exactly how it went, but um, I think there was a way that he found out about me because I think he was probably like, you know, I'm going to see if I can find a, a black storyboard artist to, to uh to work on the movie with me because he was trying to hire as much black talent as possible and um so i met him and i was kind of like wow who is this little guy you know because <laughs> it was i had already i had worked with like uh you know obviously I'd, i i had worked with uh, uh on predator 2 it was stephen hopkins who was kind of starting to go into bigger and better things and i had worked with uh, ron howard on on the backdraft and I'm trying to remember what else I did before there was, I think there were a couple of other things that I was like, you know, wow, this is real Hollywood. And John just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, he was like straight out of school. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then, uh, you know, we talked and, uh, he was, he was super confident and all he, it's like, he just dropped out of the sky knowing what he knew. And uh, it was impressive. And I read Boys and I thought, man, this, I'd never, I never thought I would see something like this uh, in a mainstream Hollywood film. Because mm. it, 
like again this was this was like you know this kind of subject matter it just there had been like the movie colors i think mm-hmm. <laughs> yes oh god <laughs> oh god that didn't really tell you anything about the reality of it. Uh, it was just like, wow. Man, that, that movie's like, loves the cops more than it loves the gangsters. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, you know, when you read Boys, it's like, it was it was kind of blowing my mind because I was like, well, shit, these are all the, the streets that I rode my bike up and down. That's where we're going to be shooting this thing. Mm. You know? So it was, it was... It, in that way, it was a huge. Uh, it was a huge thing for me personally because the movie was literally about where I grew up. Wow! And uh, yeah, and it was great because John, he you know he's he's really smart and knew what he wanted. You know, he knew the visuals that he wanted. He could uh, you know if he could draw himself, he could have easily storyboarded the movie. You know, because he knew all the shots he wanted. <coughs> Excuse me. So. Uh, we really hit it off because, you know, we could really talk film references and, uh, you know, it was like, oh, let's do a Spielberg kind of shot here. Mm. Yeah. Do this kind of push in. And we really, you know, and John, anybody who knew him would tell you he was like a puppy dog when it came to movies, you know, or, or most subjects, really. See, there were so many things he would get excited about and he was just like a kid. But he had this real like love and passion for movies. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we did. I think I did his first, the uh, those next like four movies. I think. Wow. Yeah, it was Boys, and then on Poetic Justice, uh, storyboarded that, and then I directed some second unit on that. So he really gave me my first shot at actual uh, directing with a professional crew. So that was I'm forever grateful to him for that. And uh, Higher Learning, I did more second unit on that in addition mm-hmm. to storyboard. And uh, and the next one after that was Rosewood, and then oh, oh wow wow that was a real adventure because we we spent uh, five months in uh, Central Florida doing Rosewood. That was amazing. Man, let me tell you, I got to see they they show I, uh, both me and Tatiana went to Howard at different times. Oh yeah, and, yeah, and they showed Rosewood at Crampton before it came out. Oh, um, at a preview, you know. So that's when I saw. That was one of the most lit theaters I've ever been in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. It was intense. Yeah, that night was something, boy. We came out of that theater. Yeah. Yeah. That's an intense, intense film. I I think I was much younger, but I saw it with my my mom and my grandmother. And I just remember everyone just had this stern look in their face. And I'm like... (laughs) What is happening? Is this okay? Is everybody okay? Is this great? But I, I just know that everyone really, in, like, it was powerful. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It, it was intense making it, too. It really was. So, yeah, I'm interested. I'm interested in something. You, you've you been a storyboard artist for all types of films. Like, you know, you, you're mentioning these films, um, but also you've done storyboarding for, like, Men in Black, uh, uh, Minority Report, God Shark Tale. Like, like it, I mean, I'm not going to read the whole grocery list, but it's quite a few. And and what one thing that, that stuck out the most to me is is your is the kind of comparisons between the animated features and then the live action features. Are, is there a different approach to storyboarding? Is it all the same? No, uh, no, they're actually really different. Uh, really different. It's a good question because uh, in live action storyboarding, basically what you're doing is 
you're kind of working out a plan of of with the director of how he's going to shoot the movie and it's you're not worried about you know exactly how the actors are going to perform from moment to moment what you need to do is know what you're going to see in the frame what angle where you're going to put the camera how the camera is going to move um there's stuff if you're if, if you're if you're storyboarding a sequence and, and you usually need to that has a lot of visual effects or a lot of stunts or or uh, practical special effects like explosions mm-hmm. You have to know, well, where is that stuff going to happen? How much of it do we need? And it's used as a tool to communicate with the crew. Mm. So in live action, it's a little, a slight, slightly more technical than it is in animation. In animation, what you do is you do drawings uh, since, you know, since the characters still have to be animated. Right. The uh, storyboards are used in animation to kind of show, well, I want to see the emotional state of the character i so you need mm-hmm. to see how the character forms you need to see uh it's not as important to be exact about the camera when you're storyboarding for animation you're really getting more of a sense of the flow of a scene because you're gonna you take the you take the boards in animation and you cut them all together into an animatic and, ah. you, put, and you put music in sound effects all that stuff so you can sit back and play the whole thing out in storyboard form and get a sense of how it's going to play as a movie. And so you you watch the animatic reel and you go, you know what, this part's a little slow. I don't think that's the right line there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got two, it gets too repetitive with the cutting to his close-ups here, so we'll change that. So you can like re-edit that and do new storyboards and mess around with it until you get a version that looks like what you want the movie to look like. And then you go animate it. So it's slightly different than... Uh, uh, live action storyboarding. Uh, it, there's a lot more. There's a lot more drawing in animation because you're drawing like every beat of the character's emotional yeah. performance. But the drawings can be much looser and much simpler because you know you're just quickly doing them to cut them into the animatic to watch them to see if it flows. And live action, you know, you're doing drawings that have little. It's sometimes they're almost like diagrams, and they have little arrows push in here or cut right. in closer or pan here and it's more like an instruction book that you're going to give to the crew oh wow which ones do yeah. you prefer do you prefer story uh animated or live action storyboarding you know it, oh, it's it's interesting it, it was a big adjustment going from uh going from uh live action to animation uh just, just because i was used to live action mm. you know it's hard to say it it and it depends on what you're doing you know for me uh yeah it's yeah, I like them both. I yeah. understand the reasons for both, you know. Yeah. So it's it's I I appreciate I appreciate both. I really couldn't pick. I mean, it's it's a lot more work to do boards for animation because you're literally drawing the whole movie. You know, wow. you draw everything everything the character's doing, you're drawing it. And in live action, it's just like, you know, oh, I can have one drawing and put an arrow and say he runs off screen. <laughs> you know, <and> <laughs> everybody gets it. Everybody gets it. Yeah. So. so so wait, what happens to all these storyboards when, when the film or the feature is over? Like, do you get to keep them? Well, in the old days, before, you know, once again, I got to go back to the prehistoric before digital days. Um, when you, When I was just doing these things on paper, Usually the studio would say, you know, everything's property of the, uh, you know, the Warner mm. Brothers art department or whatever. So you would have, you would like hand over your originals, you know, 
Or mm. sometimes, you know, there's a few maybe that I like handed over to some really nice copies. And, mm. and <laughs> Most part, I handed over, you know, just handed over the originals. And, you know, for me, it was, I was so focused on like, I want to be a director. I want to be a director. I want to be a director. So I was never precious about like keeping my originals or thinking, man, these are going to be worth money someday. My, <laughs> you know, my storyboards for, uh, <laughs> you know, some yeah. crappy movie I'm working on. I was like, you know, I'm just doing these things to, I'm just, you know, I'm just making, making a living and trying to get to the next step. So. And, you know, when once you really get going, you're, you're doing these things so fast that you you don't have too much uh, unless you're really into yourself as, you know, a quote unquote artist. Right. Which I was really for me, it was like all practice. So for me, it was like I would just dash him off and like I didn't really care that much what happened, honestly. And, you know, so it's I, I kind of wish I had now because I would love to be a love to have my hands on more. Right. So, you know, there's so many movies I worked on. I really don't have that much stuff. But um, now everything's digital, though. So there's no question of who owns the original because uh, the only original is a digital file. Mm. All right. Now, my question is, are you you talked about how you had to make this transition into animation for storyboarding. But when you were first offered it, you kind of resisted going into animation. Why did you not feel that was your lane? Yes. You know, I, I just, I had never thought of it. I mean, I liked animation growing up. I, you know, it would seem like an obvious thing for me, you know, you know, you draw, you know, animators draw, you know, um, my brother even, even became an animator. He started, started becoming an animator around the same time I was starting to get into storyboarding, but I was, I was interested in live action, uh, film, uh, every, everything that was just my sensibility. I wasn't interested in, cartoons or the disney you know uh I, you know i love I, I love disney animated films but it it wasn't my like uh it wasn't my guiding light like it is for a lot of people in the animation industry right so i think i, I was working on a movie called tank girl and i uh storyboarded that and i directed the second unit and uh the guy who produced that movie a couple of years later uh, his name is aaron warner and he gave me a call and I was working on, uh, oh, I was working on something. I think I was like working with David Fincher or something, uh, probably on Fight Club. Mm. But he called, he called <laughs> and said, hey, are you interested in, uh, you know, I'm working on this thing called Shrek, DreamWorks Animation. And, you know, it's really cool. It's CG animation, which was just like, just starting to get rolling. And he asked me if I'd be interested in coming and check it out. And I was like, ah. Animation? No, sorry, I'm you know, I'm doing quite close, you know. <laughs> you're like, excuse me, you turn I'm your nose up. <laughs> I'm a real I'm, movie, you know. You said I'm an artiste. Oh, yeah, okay. basically, basically. And uh, so, so cut to like you know two years later, and so Shrek One and Shrek Two come out, and they pretty much revolutionized the animated world, and they're really good, you know. And I'm starting to see like, oh wow, this CG animation thing that could be, it can be a really cool thing, you know. And sure enough, Aaron calls me back and he says, hey, we're gearing up for Shrek Three. I would love to get you in here. Um, I think we could really use some somebody with your skill set that you've developed in live action, and I think this would be a great uh, a great place for you to direct. I think they'd be really into that. So I said, okay, I'll come and check it out, thinking that you know I'll just go and 
you know, a lot of storyboard gigs, they just go for a few months, you know? So I was kind of like, yeah, I'll go, I'll try it out, you know, give it a few months. We'll you know, see what it is. Right. So I went and it was like, wow, working at an animation studio, especially the way DreamWorks was back then was like, man, this is like going to college and everybody's an artist and there's art all over the place. And that was like, uh, that was a, a big, a big thing because in live action movies, you know, a storyboard artist, nobody, hardly anybody really understands even what you're doing. So you're like, here's your office, you know, and they open up a little janitor's closet or something. And <laughs> it's just not, there's just not an understanding of, of the craft part of it, the way there is an animation where it's like, everybody knows it's built on drawing and art and all this stuff. So it was a yeah. very different feel. And, uh, they treated you really well there, and they really were like Aaron. I guess Aaron had had talked me up to the, you know, uh, uh, the higher ups over there because they were really serious about. Well, yeah, we could, you know, let's let's uh, put you on kind of a director track for here, you know. So I spent a few years at uh, at DreamWorks uh, doing storyboards, and then uh, they asked me to start developing a couple of projects, and I finally ended up. Uh, directing i was head of story on the movie monsters versus aliens oh, and then, yeah. I, then they asked me asked me to direct a tv special a halloween tv special based on monsters versus aliens and i did that and everyone was happy with how that came out and then uh like right on the heels of that uh the you know there was a version of the movie rise of the guardians that was being developed but nobody was happy with the uh with the direction of it so they uh, wanted to take a new tack and start a new creative team, and they asked me to come on and direct it. And yeah. that, I think I'd been at DreamWorks probably four years, and then that, that happened. Wow. You're living like a very abundant life. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know, <laughs> I know. But when, you, when I think about it, the, the, the weird thing is to me, uh, I, spent, I spent a long time working in the industry. You know, remember, I, st I started out like, and my, you know, just turning 20, like going, I want to be a director. And <laughs> it's just like, it took decades for me to really actually do it the way I, you know, I kind of went like clawed my way up through the system. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I could go back in time, you know, and I, you know, I know there's good reasons for it, but I tell anybody today, look, if you want to be a director, don't, you know, you don't have to try and climb the ladder. Just, you have the, the tools and the, and the, uh, the availability of technology that you can just make a movie now and you can be mm -hmm. a director already. You know, you might not be a good one. You might not be a rich one or a famous one just yet, but if you're making films, you're a director. So yeah. you can get your iPhone and get your computer and, you know, make whatever you can and start learning that way instead of, you know, me, it was kind of, you know, not having access to that stuff. It was kind of by, you know, sort of by hook or by crook, but I wasn't actually making my own movies for a long, long time. So it was uh, in in that way. It's it's like for me, I was all these years of storyboarding. Even when I was on the, you know, these big movies, I was still kind of like, but what about that? But what about? <laughs> I don't really want to get over there. How am I going to do that? <laughs> so finally, getting to do it was was uh, was a big deal. Well, you have had a series of big deals, like uh, as you're, as you're explaining <laughs> yeah. everything, like it, it's one thing to read about this, but to hear you explain this and, and oh, your yeah. journey to get there, that's just phenomenal. And, so uh, 
Listen, I I think the biggest thing that I think about now, like we're talking about the uh, future and, and, and how much different things are. Right. Uh, what? Where were you and exactly what were you doing when you got wind of Into the Spider-Verse? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, I know exactly where I was. I, uh, so I, it was a couple of years after, uh, a year and a half, I guess, after uh, Rise of the Guardians, they got a job to direct another another animated movie and that was being produced by uh, a guy named Avi Arad. Mm. Now, uh, Avi, <laughs> Avi Arad was one of the people who uh, helped start Marvel Studios. Mm-hmm. And he, he had been, uh, Avi, I mean, he, uh, he was part owner of Marvel Comics for a while. Yep. And he was the one who started uh, really pushing to get Marvel Comics properties uh, into animation and TV and later on into film. So he was a producer on the first Iron Man movie. He produced the first couple of Spider-Man movies. And he basically, the live-action Spider-Man movies, he's like attached to all of those as a producer. Yeah. So, but he, he was always keeping one foot in animation. So he had this deal with two giant Chinese companies where he was going to uh, basically set up a studio and do huge movies that uh, they would co-produce and finance and you know they would get distributed all over the world and this first one he was going to do was like it was kind of like a in a way kind of a chinese avengers or rise of the guardians it was these figures from chinese mythology oh wow that it was kind of an epic superhero fantasy kind of thing so he had really liked rise of the guardians and they reached out to me and i was looking for them another directing gig and i said sure i'll try it so uh we meet and i you know, I signed to do it, and I'm like, great, here I go again. And <laughs> two weeks after I sign, I start hearing people around the office going, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Oh, the whispers start. Yeah, I know, what's happening? And I go, hey, Avi, I, I hear a lot of talk about Spider-Man. Are you doing another one? Thinking that it's a live-action, you know, yeah. Spider-Man movie. Right. And he goes, oh, we're doing an animated Spider-Man feature with this. <laughs> and I go, oh. Okay, cool. And I'm kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, there's been plenty of Spider-Man movies. You know, big deal. Who cares? And he goes, yeah, we're uh, uh, going to produce it with Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Ah. Mm. Uh, oh. That changed yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds interesting. And he goes, yeah, your name was on the list to direct. But I told him you already got a job. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> did you slap him once or twice <laughs> like, okay okay <laughs> I, oh, see how no. it, I see how it is so the, the weird thing was that i had had a i had, had a meeting set up with sony animation before i signed to do the job with avi so i was like well i'm still going to take the meeting and you know network and smooth with them and see what's going on so uh i go to the meeting at uh at sony and there's this guy, Mike Moon, who at the time was the head of production there. And he's just kind of like kind of circling me. And he just keeps going. So what do you think of Spider-Man? What do you think? How do you like Spider-Man? What do you think of Spider-Man? <laughs> and I finally have to say, oh, man, you know, I just signed on like two weeks ago to do this thing for Avi. And he's producing both of them. There's no way I'll get out of it. So I really wish I could check it out. But, I'm, you know, and uh, so I was like. But, you know, that's cool. I got my job. So cut to like six months later, 
I'm going ahead on my little Chinese thing with Avi and uh, it's going really well. Animation tests, I'm rewriting the script, all this stuff. And I found out, oh, my good friend, Bob Persichetti, who I worked with at DreamWorks, yeah. signed to direct with Phil and Chris. And I'm like, damn, Bob is like, Bob's like a mad genius. He is so, uh, he's so creative and so original that it was like, man, if he's doing that with Phil and Chris, this movie is really going to be something. Okay. I was like, well, that'd be somebody else. I'm glad it was him because it'll be really cool. And like a few months, just a couple of months after that, the uh, one of the big Chinese companies pulled out of the deal on the movie that I was doing. So the whole thing collapsed. Wow. Yeah. Though there's like a big history of, of like uh, the, the world of Chinese movie financing is it's super volatile. That stuff happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So that kind of fell apart. And I was like, wow, that's something. And right away, I got a call from Bob. And he goes, hey, I heard you got some time on your hands. <laughs> storyboarding on Spidey. And I was like, yeah, I, got, I do have time. I would love to. So I went over and I read the treatment that uh, Phil Lord had written. And I, it, blew, it blew my mind, number one, because uh, it was just beautifully done. And mm -hmm. already so much of the emotion and the, uh, the, 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 the spirit that's in that movie was right in that treatment that he wrote. And uh, number two, it was Miles Morales. And I didn't know it was going to be Miles Morales. So it was like, mm. wow, this thing's incredible. And then there was like, you know, the early uh, production design artwork was amazing. And, you know, it, it, it hadn't evolved into what we took it to. But yeah. it was still like, man, this movie is going to be ridiculous. And so um, I'm storyboarding and I'm working with Bob. You know, I'm on the story team. And then you know, a few months go by and it becomes apparent that this thing is getting, you know, it's very complex. It's, it's really big. Yeah. And, uh, I got a call, you know, I got a call and they asked me, Hey, you know, we, we think we need another director and Bob is cool with it. Would you come on and co-direct? And I said, sure, here I am. I, I, I got it after all, you know? So it was, it was a roundabout way to get there, but I, I ended up on the movie, uh, at the end. And then from there, it was just like, the next two years after that was just like running a marathon at full speed. And I mean, my mind is blown because like I said, the, the universe is giving you everything in abundance. It's like, <laughs> ah, you don't need that other movie. Here's a different one. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> it, it really was crazy. Wow. So like Spider-Verse, it, it tells really a, a very straightforward tale of Spider-Man, but it also flips basically every trope on its head. Every trope of a lot of comic book movies we've seen thus far, animation, the whole nine yards. How deep is your personal love for for Peter Parker, Miles Morales and the crew? Oh, my, you know, the very first comic book I ever bought with my own money at Champs was a Spider-Man comic book. Mm. Wow. I still have it. Wow. Yeah, I still have it. Uh, which which so, one? Which, one? Uh, yeah. which, which issue? It was <laughs> issue number 132 with the Spider-Man and the Molten Man. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a, for my, for my very first one. I wrote my name on it and everything. It was like... So, uh, so I had a strong, pretty strong uh, love for that character for a long time. Actually, reading those comics, you know, I was like nine or ten. And that was the first... Uh, that was uh, my first exposure to like Marvel comics and the idea that you could be a superhero and still have problems. 
Mm-hmm. You know, there was a little, yeah. I remember there was a little part in the story where Sp- he, Peter Parker was saying, I hate being Spider-Man. And he meant it. And I was like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're like, they're not supposed to say that. No, I know. I was like, wait a minute, what is this? And it just, it blew my mind. So it, there was like, you know, it's a Spider-Man comic, but there was still this, this kind of realism to it, or at least complexity that I was like, it just really got my brain going. And I, I got hooked on that whole thing that you could, you could have all these powers, but you know, you still had to, you know, you still had problems with your girlfriend or you still had to pay your rent or you still weren't popular and all this stuff. And it is just like, Oh man, this is, this is it for me. This is just, this is fantastic. Yeah. It gives so, you another level of, of what it means to be a superhero. Exactly. And, and that's the same kind of, that's a great thing about that character you know, it's all the same stuff with Miles Morales. You know, it's like he's a kid. You know, he never even really wanted to be a superhero. And the powers come along and it's like, sure, you can do amazing stuff, but your life gets so much more complex. And there's this whole, that whole struggle of with great power comes great responsibility. Am I going to, I'm in this position. Am I going to, am I going to, you know, use use what I have for the best or am I going to, use it for myself selfishly am i going to run away from it you know it's a real moral dilemma right and it's uh it's the, a powerful powerful uh metaphor for anybody in life i think now um i'm you know i've always studied directing and writing and everything and one thing we were we actually did a rewatch a few weeks ago of into the spider-verse and one thing that really struck me about the writing is how the introduction to Miles is so amazing. Like you get so much of him in such a quick time. And yeah. you know, you get his and one thing that just struck me about the whole movie in general is not only how black it is, but mm-hmm. also how Brooklyn it is. Yeah. And that was just like where, you know, there's I mean, there's so much we could talk about the production, like the animation, the music and everything, but what was that like? How did all these different styles and everything come together to make this fucking classic movie right here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like well, it, I'll tell you, it was it was a lot of heartache and a lot of hard work and a lot of trial and error and throwing stuff against the wall the wall to see what sticks. But I, from the very beginning, uh, the you know, I think before I before I came on, Bob uh, Bob Persichetti talking with Phil. I mean, the idea of really making it a real New York movie. Mm. I think Bob was like the primary driver of that. Yeah, and because the you know there was I mean you know the the way he would he had he had put, the way he had put it one day, and I had never really thought about it. And he was like, you know, we're lucky because there's so many things that come that were born in New York. You got Marvel Comics for one. That's pure New York. Yeah. Uh, it's even in the comics. It's where the characters live. They don't live in a, a made-up city of Metropolis. They live in the real New York. They live in the real Brooklyn. You know, and that's that's always been the case with Spider-Man since 1963. You know, it's like what else comes out in New York? Hip hop. You know. Yeah. It's like let's make this such a love letter to New York and bring all that stuff into it, and it's organic to the character. That was the thing. And it, it became a thing of, uh, you know, if, you know, there was this whole thing of uh, there have been a lot of Spider-Man movies before, you know, the, the like my first reaction, the minute I heard animated Spider-Man, I was like, yeah, 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 I've seen it before. Who cares? 
But this was like, okay, if you're going to make another Spider-Man movie, you have to really come up with a reason why this one is different and why this one is, you know, necessary. And it was like, well, let's make it as relevant to people now as possible. Let's make it as much in every way about, you know, Miles Morales is a 13-year-old kid. Let's try to get him right as a 13-year-old kid for now, which is like, what's he wearing? How does he wear his hair? What kind of shoes does he have? You know, uh, what's his what's his uh, home like with his parents? What's uh, what music is he listening to? Like our soundtrack and our score mm-hmm. is pretty much like, man, if you were a 13 year old kid in Brooklyn, what are you listening to in your headphones? And what is the when you're going through drama or like adventure in your life? How would you score it yourself? What would that sound like? Mm-hmm. So all of that was like filtered through the perspective of Miles Morales as much as you know, as much as we can get to it, you know? And it's like, it's not like we, we were all like, you know, everybody working on that movie is not like black and from Brooklyn either. Right. So there, <laughs> there were people like channeling all kinds of stuff and really like bringing, you know, every, I think there's a lot of hip hop fans of all stripes on that movie. So a lot of that love for the culture came from, you know, not just from me. It's not like, you know, I think, I think a lot of people think, oh, oh that's why it's so authentic. Peter Ramsey, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, it's really a, it, that movie the, or the, the making of that movie is a really good example of how influential and how, uh, how pervasive uh, that culture really is now. That the, the love for it is like everybody kind of poured their version of it into the movie. So uh, it was really people, everybody was really determined to try to, to really make a uh, uh, Miles, just make Miles as authentic and real as we could. You know, everybody loved his story and his character, so it was like, ah, oh, let's do him right. Let's do him. Let's let's do him justice. You know. Yeah, yeah, and and I know you've heard this in many different ways, but I, I do want to express, even just from my personal standpoint, how important Spider Verse is and was and and continues to be because really closely to what you, you've just expressed, it, it really further acknowledged how hip hop culture, how black culture is pop culture. And this movie just kind of serves as a, a very, a very strong beacon to, to that influence of the culture and how important it is to society overall. So, I mean, just really just, it was just perfect. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, we worked. It really worked, was uh, perfect. It's, it's interesting because it's like, uh, in an intellectual sense, you know, I think I and all of us knew that that would end up being the case. Yeah. I don't think that we like we we had so much work to do and we had so much so many so much uh, so much in, in the ter- in the as far as ambition that we wanted to get into the movie that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were just trying to figure out how to make it work all the time. And it wasn't even now. I mean, the the love and the just the the depth of emotion people have for the movie it still blows me away. It's people just like it means so much to people in in those specific ways that I, I just like. Man, yeah. I knew it was gonna. I knew it was gonna hit some nerves. I had no idea it was gonna go so deep. I really mm. didn't. I remember we, uh, I think Tatiana, you were there too. Yeah, we both saw it together at a preview yeah. screening. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Kid, our friend Kid Fury put that on. And another friend of mine, he'd seen it already, you know, and he was like, yo, Ben, this joint better than Black Panther. 
I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, bro? Like, fuck out of here. What are you talking about? It's a Spider-Man movie, dog. It's a cartoon. Yeah, it's a cartoon. Come on. And then I stepped out of that joint, and I'm crying and shit. And I'm like, well, (laughs) maybe. Tears. (laughs) Tears rolling down his face. Thug tears. Yeah, straight straight thug tears. But um, something, not not only am I a DJ, I mean, not only am I a writer, filmmaker, all that, but I'm also, you know, a DJ. Like, that's my heart. And so when I, like, the first time I saw it, I peeped a little of the soundtrack. But on repeated viewings, and then I saw some of the production videos, when y'all are sitting in there with the DJ and he's scratching to the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And then I just peeped it again and you have like the uh, the graffiti scene when Miles and his uncle are doing the artwork. It's just filled with samples like Chuck D, Apache. I mean, it just runs through them so fast. Like, we spent a lot of time uh, on that, on the, uh, the graffiti sequence. We spent a lot of time... Uh, uh, Bob and me and Rodney and like you know well what pieces can we get we had so many Ah. there were so many different versions of that and it was just the idea the cool thing was that it it uh, it tells it it tells a character story it's telling you about okay this is what Aaron used to listen to when he was down here doing graffiti with Jefferson. So it's giving you a window into you know Aaron is trying to recapture that that time in his life that that relationship that he had with his brother that he no longer has with his brother's son and he's trying to like pass that on and that's that was kind of the that's sort of the background story that the music is filling in a little bit mm. no i like the last time i peeped it that's when that one really got me like the chase sequence when the dude is scratching the soundtrack that f's me up every time but the graffiti scene last time, I was like, oh, these guys. Like, look, you know, f- f- fuck out of here. Like, come on, man. Y'all y'all just killing it. Just absolutely killing it. It was love, man. It was lab- labor of love. Labor of love. So much love got put into that movie. And that's why you guys got so much love. Because yes. it was clear. It was very apparent. <laughs> true. If you put love into something, it, it will come back to you. It's 100% true. Mm. Now, one other thing we want to talk about with the production is the animation, because the first time I saw it, you know, you have all these different styles, like every main character is animated in their own style, which which alone is, you know, ridiculous. But it was just the little touches that started bugging me. Like, but the first time I saw it, I was a little confused because I thought something was wrong with my eyes with the 3D color separation effect. And then when I find out that you're doing, you know, the old school four color comic book color separation effect, I'm just like, yo, like, what? How, how did y'all come? You know, what, like you said the ambition <laughs> and the love and everything, but it, it feels like you just had so many ideas and you were like, yo, we're going to find a way to work all this into here. That's exactly what it was. That's that is that is literally exactly what it was, because, you know, when I came on, you know, I didn't have any idea you could do half the stuff that we ended up doing in that mm-hmm. movie. I just didn't like know it was technically possible. Our uh, uh, our production designer, a dude named Justin Thompson, who's a genius. Justin is just a genius. He came on board, and we had had there was a guy named Alberto Mielgo, that's a Spanish artist who's also a genius, but he's like a a, a mad genius, and Alberto. <laughs> did the first uh did the first conceptual work on the movie a bunch of paintings and his style and you have to have seen some of them 
because they're almost photorealistic, but they're kind of stylized at the same time. And they're kind of slick and they have this real contemporary look. And that was like the first taste of the direction that the movie could go in. Uh, um, Justin ended up coming on as production production designer a little later and took that and kind of adapted it uh, more for the tone of the, you know, what the movie was, could actually be and hit on the idea of, well, let's make this feel like really like the experience of reading a comic book. So from Justin, you got stuff like, hey, look at the, the how this offset printing, these, these printing mistakes in the old comic books. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can use that as a graphic substitute for depth of field and blur in mm. our movie. Because the way we wanted to, you know, we wanted to animate on twos uh, instead of on ones, as you usually do in computer animation. And that that causes a whole lot of technical challenges. We didn't want to use uh, we didn't want to use a lot of a motion blur in the computer right. for a more graphic kind of snappier look that also, you know, so that meant we had to find a different language to like be able to create depth and do a lot of things that you ordinarily do in uh cinematography that's based on photography our cinematography was a little more based on printing techniques and graphics Mm. so we had to find another kind of language to be able to communicate stuff like depth or something being out of focus and justin was like all over that and the whole thing with the our little dot patterns you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you know so there was he was he was just like uh that guy he's astounding so and and you know once you start finding out oh you can do this you can do that then everybody was just like oh well we can do this and we can do that just like giving these guys like impossible challenges to figure out how to do and they pull it off every time so wild i'm personally mind blown <laughs> because it's it's mind blowing it really is mind blowing if you had been i swear if you had if you guys could have sat in on some of our uh our digital dailies meetings when we would be I mean, I'm not kidding, man. Stuff like trying to get the dot patterns to work right. And there would be like, you know, five people sitting in a dark room arguing. They're too big. They're too small. They should move. They shouldn't move. They're like just trying to dial in everything. So it's 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 like you're trying to you're trying to to find something that doesn't exist yet. And you're kind of groping your way forward. And it started to become a little bit clearer and a little bit clearer. Mm-hmm. And then one day it just, oh man, I think that's it. And suddenly stuff just starts to fall into place. And that, that really is how it was. Because we had like probably a year and a half before we really knew what the movie was basically going to look like. How, it's like, how do you, <laughs> I'm just laughing because the amount of innovation that, that occurred, um, you know, obviously through the process of Spider-Verse, but also just even in your own professional life, like, what do you do with all this knowledge? Like, what are your plans for the future? <laughs> oh, uh, my plans for the future. Woo. Um, keep, keep getting a job so I can pay my mortgage. <laughs> right. But like, yeah, you, you know, so many new techniques. I mean, Sony has a patent on, on, on one of the animation techniques because of the things that you and the team have developed. So like, what is the net? Like, clearly you haven't done this to develop new to get patents you've done this because you were trying you were you were using your creativity what are your thoughts going forward well i mean you know just just on that subject i have to say i my 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 contribution to spider-verse there's the technology is just is something that i've got i'm not a technical person at all really 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's pure, purely aesthetic. So my my contribution was kind of saying, yes, no, more of this, less of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this looks good. What about something like this? Figuring out all that stuff, that's <laughs> that's not my thing at all. Mm-hmm. So luckily, there, there's real geniuses, technical geniuses, who also happen to be artists. Who, uh, the guys at Sony Imageworks um, were like just like incredible at, at being able to figure that stuff out. But as far as as far as me, I, I mean, I think it's it's the the experience I've gotten and working working with really talented people and like learning what it is to kind of like uh, define a vision and mm. ways to communicate that and move it forward. That is that is one of the things that I I feel like okay I've gotten a, quite a bit more of a handle on that over the years and right and that's something. I think that that you know I I feel like I'm, I'm I, I I I can bring to the table on a good day I'll put it like that and uh, I've got you know I've got projects of of my own that that uh, I'm trying to get off the ground to varying degrees now and um, projects that you know have uh, um, getting back to live action is one thing that I've been wanting to do for a long time so I can I'm finally because of uh, the reception of Spider Verse. You know, I've been lucky enough to have people interested in me to direct live action films. So there's a couple of those that are, you know, in the works. Excellent. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, I had started, you know, way back when, when I decided I wanted to be a director. I started writing way back then. So I've got, you know, I've got a, a drawer full of, you know, scripts that were, <laughs> you know, never made or never quite good enough. Yeah. But you learn, you know, and you, I've, I've, uh, I've brought a. Uh, a little bit of writing to all the animated films I've been involved in. And now I'm, you know, writing my own stuff. So there's like, you know, I'm stirring my little pots on the stove and, yeah, and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully a written and directed by Peter Ramsey stuff is on the way soon. So I, I'm just uh, plowing ahead and, and uh, just, yeah, just still trying to work with great people. That's the other part of any, oh, yes. any success I've ever had is like, Hey, find good, smart people to work with and, you know, you're, you're doing pretty good. Well, I'd say you're doing damn good. And b- before we wrap up this portion of the interview, I just try to say something because something that really uh, hits me about Into the, Into the Spider-Verse is not only, you know, the theme, you know, there's an overlying theme of that anyone can put on the mask, anyone can be a hero, which is amazing in itself, right? But what really gets me, especially upon recent viewings, is how the characters are all dealing with grief and loss in different ways. And it's like there could be a thesis on how each of the characters from uh, Spider-Man Noir to Penny to Miles are dealing, you know, represent a different stage of grief. So is this like something that you considered while you were making the film? Sure. Uh, I I, I, I I don't know if we ever went to the uh, to the place of you know actually assigning them different stages of you know the grieving process, which mm-hmm. is which is really interesting because you do see you do see different versions of that. Uh, uh, yeah, if I just flash on Miles and uh, Miles and uh, Peter B. Parker, you know the stages that they're at in their lives. I think the the big thing was for us was come, uh, the story evolving to the point where we started realizing. You know, this is really, this is really about uh, a person discovering uh, that that there are other people who share the same experience as him. 
Mm. You know, and he's got a connection to them because of that. And, you know, that's just a metaphor for anybody, anybody being connected to other people in the world, period. You know, just knowing that, hey, you're not the only one who's going through what you're going through. You know, other people have the same losses and the same triumphs and the same sadnesses. And uh, it's just part of what makes you a human being. And the important thing is that you look past the differences and connect with other people because of those things. And, you know, with all the, the spider characters, it was interesting because for a long time, you know, you make these, these, uh, you see these movies about groups of heroes and they always have to like butt heads for a long time before they go, wait a minute, we've got to learn how to work as a team. <laughs> and they have to get it together for the last final battle. And then and there's, we did it. We worked. We did it. <laughs> doing that for a long time and then we started to finally kind of say you know what the the stuff that people really respond to in the movie is when people connect it's not so much when they're arguing with each other and like yeah. you know and we we had so we and we did have a lot of that with peter b parker but the thing that turned out to resonate way more was this idea that we're the same you know mm. your little spider sense goes off and you go oh my god you're like me and that, I think that's part of the movie that like, once we really started embracing that, I think people are so hungry for that kind of, uh, connection and, and, uh, and sort of, uh, warmth in real life that to see that on the screen really like gives people something that they're hungry for. So I, I think, uh, that, you know, maybe more than just the actual grief, which does bond them all together. But that idea that they are kind of bound together really became the backbone of the movie. Man, you're about to make me start crying right now, and I'm not even <laughs> watching the movie. Right <laughs> it's just a cartoon. Come on. Oh, man. Well, Mr. Ramsey, you have survived the interview segment. Dr. Ramsey. Dr. Ramsey, <laughs> yes. Dr. Ramsey, you Professor survived Ramsey. the interview segment. But before we get you out of here, we do have our BRAP segment, our rapid-fire questions. There we go. There we go. All right, bring it, he said. So you ready? Oh, okay. I, I don't even okay. got to ask. All right, let's see. Start it off. Uh, the Falcon or War Machine. Oh shoot! Uh, oh wow, <laughs> that's tough. Wow, shoot. Okay, I'm gonna say War Machine because I love Don Cheadle. Mm-hmm. We all do. Mm-hmm. All right, Lex Luthor or Doctor Doom? Mm, Doctor Doom for me. Nice. Who is your favorite alternate Spider-Man? Wow. Uh, favorite alternate Spider-Man. Okay. Are we counting, uh, are not counting Miles or not counting Peter B. Parker? You can count, you can count both. Count it, anybody? Oh, shoot. Yep. That's really hard, man. Well, obviously, I have a super big soft spot for Miles. Mm-hmm. But, man, that's really tough. Uh, yeah, no, I kind of love Miles. Aww. From, the, from reading the original comics that Brian Michael Bendis and, and uh, and Sarah, Sarah Pacelli did. Mm-hmm. I he, I loved him in those too. So I'll say Miles. Oh, I love it. Um, what's your favorite Easter egg or visual nod in Spider Verse? Oh man, uh, let's see. 
That's tough, but I, I will say I think my favorite visual my favorite visual nod, it's also kind of an Easter egg for real comic book heads, is just the way that we used uh the Jack Kirby dots. Mm. So many places in the movie when they when they're in the multiverse. The look of the multiverse yes. is, is real it's real Jack Kirby and uh that uh I'm a big Jack Kirby fan, so that uh, one is like one big giant Easter egg for me. The Kirby crackle. The Kirby yeah. crackle, baby. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Okay, Luke Cage or Black Panther? Oh, I go Black. <laughs> <laughs> that hurt. <laughs> that did hurt, right? <laughs> um, The Wire or Breaking Bad? Oh, man. Okay, it's got to... Uh. <laughs> Here's the thing. The Wire is like, is like, a, is like a great novel. Breaking Bad is like a great graphic novel. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like it's like a subtle difference. But if I had, if I could only, if I could only pick one, it would have to be The Wire. Mm. That's a great description, though. That's like, cause that captures why they're both great but different. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. Breaking Bad is like, man, it's like, it's like, it's just like crack, and you can't yes. stop watching it. But it's a little, <laughs> it's just a little pulpier and a little more. Uh, uh, a little more pop culture and the wire is just like deep, man. The wire is yeah. just like, it's a, it's a, 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 a totally different experience, but, but uh, yeah, the wire, I'd have to say the wire. Although I love breaking bad and I love better call. Saul. Mm. there you go. All right. Uh, let's see. Wakanda or Zamunda. Oh shoot! I don't know that much about the Moodle, so I'm gonna say Wakanda. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, Zamunda from uh, Coming to America. Yes. yes. Oh, wow. Oh, that's well, man. They're almost like the same thing. <laughs> I'll say Wakanda because they have spaceships. Right. There you go. There you right. go. Speaking of spaceships, Star Wars or Star Trek? Ah, don't do that to me. <laughs> man. That's like, who do you want to live with, your mom or your dad? <laughs> Dude, I can't choose. Okay, I'll put it this way: if you're asked, if 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 the question is which one do you like, do you enjoy more? Mm-hmm. I might say Star Wars. If the question yeah. is which one would you want to live in, Star Trek. Oh no, no, no question. Definitely. <laughs> I would love it. Yeah. That would be the best. On Earth. I'd love to be on Earth because Starfleet gets a little risky. <laughs> I just, uh, just want to chill. Yeah, I just want to chill, man. Um, besides Spider-Verse, what's your favorite superhero movie of all time? Ooh, favorite superhero movie of all time. Man, uh, I'd say uh, I really... Uh, Maybe the first, maybe of all time, might be uh, the original Superman with Christopher Reeve. Probably, probably, Classic. probably. Yeah, that one. I just have like the memories I have seeing it as a kid. You know, that was one of those movies that jumped on the eighty-five up Crenshaw to get to Hollywood and saw it around Christmas time. And oh man, it was so good. It was so good. But uh, I I love the Christopher Nolan uh, uh, Batman movies. I think those are fantastic. Yes, and, my favorites. Uh, and I really dug uh, Avengers Endgame. I thought it was Oof. great. So it's like, yeah. 
but Superman is probably like that's that's the one that's most embedded in my DNA. I think. All right, just a couple more to go. Um, I'm I'm so happy that you're like so into this. (laughs) Usually, people are really afraid or they're really excited. So I'm glad we got this version. Um, In any medium, such as books, TV, film, which character's death hurt you the most? Oh wow! Books, TV, film. Oh man. Okay, I got to think about this one. Uh, Why do they have to die? Let's see. Ooh, that's a hard it's, one. It's, it's, now it's very hard. So sometimes we ask, sometimes people, you know, which character were you so happy that they died? <laughs> <laughs> as such as the case of, of, of characters like Joffrey in Game of Thrones. Right, right. Oh, God. Oh, that was, well, yeah, his death. I wish it could have been worse. <laughs> Damn. My man choked. Like <laughs> it's already pretty gruesome. <laughs> I was I was I was rooting for even more. Um That's great. Oh god, that's a hard one. Shoot. Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to think back. It's really hard. I don't know if oh, okay, let me see. No. Uh, well, okay, I know one. I know one death that really uh you know, one of my favorite movies of all time is Seven Samurai and uh mm. uh that's like it really anytime one of the samurai you know, dies in that movie. It just mm-hmm. breaks my heart. But uh, when, when Toshiro Mufune gets it, uh, his character, that one is, mm-hmm. that one's just like, oh, man. So that's one. I Dang, I'm trying to... When Michael Corleone's wife gets killed in Godfather, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, God, in the car, yeah. Yeah, this is, it, this is kind of a, it, this is kind of tough. Uh, yeah, it's kind of tough. But those, those were some are, good entries. Yeah, those were really good answers. Yeah. Yeah, and, and think, thinking of Godfather, I mean, okay, Godfather three, it's like the le- the least of the Godfather <laughs> movies. Yeah. But the acting job that Pacino does when uh oh no she gets killed at the end. No, bro, why you got even? Oh yeah. <laughs> he lets he gives it up. Oh my God, does he? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It just gets every single time. And it's like, I've been sitting through this movie going, oh, it should have been better. It should have been better. It should have been better. <laughs> and man, when he does that scream at the end, I'm like, the tears are like rolling down my face. So that one hit me really hard. I feel it. Because I, like, I remember the first time I saw it, I was so hyped about the first two. And then I saw I was like, oh, this is not good. This is okay. This is okay. And then that ending, you're like, oh, well. Yeah, yeah. right? It's like, oh, man. Yeah. All right. Um, who was your first geek crush? Ooh, I don't know if it counts as a geek crush, but, uh, shoot. I remember, uh, okay, let me see. There was, there was, you know, on TV, you know, there were quite a few. There was, uh, Linda Carter. (laughs) Geek crush. (laughs) That's a real geek crush. Lieutenant Uhura in the Mm. the Mirror Mirror episode. (laughs) Oh, with the outfit. he named the episode. (laughs) With the outfit, I know. So she draws that knife on Sulu, and she's like, "Woo!" <laughs> Anything Pam Greer was in, I don't oh. know if that really counts as a geek, but yes, it does. <laughs> uh, Rock Raquel Welch in One mm. Million Years BC. Mm. Uh, yeah, those are. It was kind of along those lines. Who else? Who else? Who else? Impeccable taste, sir. Impeccable. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And, uh, uh, 
uh, uh, God, I can't remember her name. She was in Logan's Run. I remember that was one too. Mm. But it was like, you know, no, back in the geek days, man, it was like whoever's running around in a furry bikini or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny part is that's exactly the truth. Like <laughs> That's like all everybody you named right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, wow. All right. If you could have any one superpower, just one, what would it be? It would probably be flight. Uh, Why? Could you have every other superpower? <laughs> <laughs> just just the feeling of freedom, I think. Yeah. Being able to do that, you know, it's like prob- probably that. Uh, if there was another one, what would it be? I don't know. I don't know. What would you guys want? Super strength? Would that be good? That, would, that could come in handy, I guess. But. Ben, I mean, doesn't need a superpower. He'll become a supervillain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every time the Sith's ass, it's all it always ends so terribly for any power I choose. Like, well, no, see, I always talk about how I want super speed, and then I would just like bust down the NBA and call it a day. You know, like that's all. I would just win five chips and you know sit back and relax. What happened? But then, what happened to great power with great responsibility? Like that is on, responsibility. Man. I'm getting rich. <laughs> like I'm not being evil. I'm just you know living life. Invisibility would be cool. I could I could get a lot done with invisibility. Mm. Yeah. See, I, I want invisibility too. But then as I started going down the path, I was like, okay, I'm becoming Ben Amin. I'm also Yeah, that's what <laughs> see you give me invisibility, it's all bad. Yeah, no. You, you gotta give me something safe like super speed that I can just, you know, get rich off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're not gonna be the superhero of the next film. We know that. No, um, never that. Uh, and, and this is probably going to be the final question. What's a comic or real life story that you would like to bring to life and direct? What, what's a what's a, a comic or a real life story? Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of uh, there's there's some stories around the the uh, the uh, the bebop era of jazz that I would really be interested in. Oh, cool. I really like that era of jazz. There's there's a. Uh, uh, like some of the stories you hear about uh, Miles Davis kind of uh, kind of coming of age and a lot of the people that he was involved with. Yeah. Paris and all that stuff. I'd love to see some of that. Um, and I, ju- I just like that. I like that part of like uh, of uh, black uh, black history or African-American history. The kind of the uh, 50s going into the mid 60s. I just uh-huh. think so much going on there. Like the rise of, uh, you know, just the the trajectory of the civil rights movement and how the how art was art and music were growing alongside that and how they all wound together. Yeah, kind of. There's a ton of interesting uh, stories around that time that I I, I think are just kind of amazing. Um, what else? What else? Uh, true stories. True stories. I don't know. There's something about that era that when I think of like true stories. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful era, yeah. Yeah, we need that. Because nobody ever talks about how, you know, all the great blacks went to Europe and lived there and got I was just going to say, I never learned, like, I didn't really learn about much of that until I got to Howard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? It's, yeah. A really, it's, it's, a, it's a super dynamic time that mm-hmm. things, really, uh, things were really in motion that were going to affect the next, like, you know, 20, 30 years or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's... That's also kind of it's. I, I think of it as my parents' time, so I have a little bit of a uh, sentimental attachment to it. But mm. you know, 
I just kind of like the style too, you know, cardigan sweaters and you know, <laughs> rocking the skinny pants and the. Oh, so that means we got to get Ruthie Carter to do the costuming. Yeah, well, you have to, man. You have to. So, you know, so that that era, as far as the true story, uh, you know, some, you know, like a like James Baldwin, you know. Uh, yes. Something set in that, something coming out of that time really has a, a lot of appeal to me. That would be phenomenal. You have to do this now. You've put it into the universe. This has to happen now. Yeah. I'm working on, I'm, I'm working on something that's not a true story, but it does have to do with that time. So. Ooh. Oh, okay. Some way, shape, or form, hopefully uh, that'll come to pass. All right. Well, you have survived the interview segment. You survived the BRAP segment. <laughs> and, you know, for those who don't know, please let the internets know where they can find you at, what you're working on. And uh, can I get a job when that next uh, Spider-Verse 2 <laughs> writer's room opens like, up? Like, all jokes aside. <laughs> all jokes aside, you know, I know, you know, if you're looking for, you know, Spider-Verse 2 writer's room, you know, I'm just putting it out there. Where can I send us, you know? You might be overqualified, man. I don't know. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I will underqualify myself very quickly. <laughs> oh, that said, yes, yes, as Benami initially asked, where can people find you online? Uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, pramsey342. So you can check me out there. I'm on Instagram, uh, Peter, Peter A. Ramsey. And I think there's little underscores between those things. So okay. either one of those places, uh, uh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I end up on Twitter a little too much sometimes before my wife slaps the phone out of my hand. <laughs> you can easily see me saying something ignorant on there. No, you're saying great things. We follow you on there. They're all good. They're all logical things. So we appreciate it. Yeah. Shouts to Lexi Alexander for getting this and inspiring this because it was your conversation that actually started this whole thing. Yeah. The fiercest woman on the planet. Man. Lexi Alexander. Word up. All right. Well, thank you so much, man. This has been an honor for real. Like, we can't uh, thank you enough for being here. Nah, I mean, yeah, you, like, you like we said, this is the movie, you know, this is Spider-Verse. Like, this, <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much. And we're going to take a quick break, Internet, and we'll be right back with more of the show. And what's up, y'all? And welcome back to this episode of the Fantastic Four All Nerds. Oh, my God. I mean, let me just stop and say, like, we are bringing you that effing heat. Do y'all hear this shit? Like, in the middle of a pandemic, first we bring you the professor, you know, screw you on the COVID on the Rona, and then we come back with that heat, with that love, because... You know, you got to have love and light in your life. And Peter Ramsey, thank you for coming through. Yes. I mean. I, I got to say, I, I truly am shocked just because it, this is just an important, I mean, obviously Spider-Verse is just an important film just in general, but also just to get to speak to Peter and really learn where he comes from and, and, and his personality and all of that. Like, it's, 
Like we're doing some really fucking amazing award-winning things every single week on this show. And I want my props. Mm-hmm. I want my props. And I mean, I want this prop for the show. I want to props for everyone who helps put the show together, including the fan fam, including the Patreon fan fam. I want everyone to get their props. Seriously. Word, word. And thank y'all. Speaking of the Patreon fan fam, we know, we know we were supposed to mail you out some stuff, but you know, the way that post office is set up right now, it's kind of shaky, folks. I can't lie to y'all. Shit is crazy. But we're working on some things. Uh, I tell us, think about this, and I'm just going to propose it to you right now in the air. We do a live Patreon Zoom meeting. You know, we get all the patrons together. We let them choose the time, and then we can just get on Zoom and, you know, all talk the shit to each other, you know? We may need to find something more secure than Zoom. <laughs> Zoom, Zoom's a little hood. I was so. on Zoom the other night with my boys, though. It was great, yo. I know no, it's I mean, it, It's fun, but like in yes. in the in the the pantheon of 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 streaming uh, platforms, uh, it's low. It's uh, low. Uh, video. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just, and when there. I say that, not because of the way it looks like it's very easy to use and mm-hmm. looks great, whatever. It's just that. From a security and everything else standpoint, it's just not the business. It's, security. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Point is, this I'm just really proud that we uh, got to speak to uh, Peter Ramsey. Yeah, and I'm proud of the work we do every week, like you say, week in and week out. And we're bringing you a lot of different things right now because we know that everybody's going through it. And we're just, like I keep saying, we're just trying to bring love, you know, positivity, light, everything into your life. So we're going to be hopping on, doing more Instagram lives. Thank you to everyone who jumped on. Last week, we did. Uh, I did one with Young Guru, my brother. We sat there and talked there. It was like two and a half hours we was on there just yapping. Common stopped through, all kind of celebs, plus all the fan fam. It was beautiful, you know? Thank y'all for that. Thank y'all for coming through. We're working on some more of those. Working on getting Tatiana up on this Twitch, you know, rocking all these games. Mm-hmm. I've been DJing all over Twitch. So let me say this again. Please, please, if you listen to the show. Hit up that twitch.tv slash for all nerds and hit subscribe. Please. Oh, Lord, I'm trying to get these numbers up on these DJ sessions, boy. I feel like I'm <laughs> DJing in the closet sometimes right now, you know? <laughs> but thank you to everybody who has been tuning into these sessions because, like, it's it's been a lot for me. I, I'm not even going to lie to y'all. Like, you know, I'll be going through it. I like everyone else. I'm stressed out some days. This is, you know, ridiculous. We're, we're going through it now. It's insane. And so me just sitting there DJing just helps me out so much. So when I have people on my Instagram or on the Twitch or on the Facebook just watching, you know, saying anything, just saying what up, talking to me, just chatting with me while I'm spinning, it just, it helps me out so much. So thank you, you know, thank you all for that as well, y'all. It means the world to me, for real. I think that's enough heartfelt emotion for this episode. <laughs> now it's time for one of my favorite segments on the show. The Geekwindly Ask Questions. The Guac is Extra. The Guac is Extra. Where we answer any and all of our listeners' questions. All you have to do to get a question answered is hit us up on the Twitters, on the Instagrams, at ForAllNerds. Or you can hit us up directly on our email, contact at ForAllNerds.com. And you can ask us anything. It doesn't matter what it's about, geek-related or nah. Hit us up. We answer any and all questions. So please, what do we have up first tonight? This question comes from Mayo33021. They ask, would you like to see other milestone media characters come to life like Icon? Yes, damn it. Yes, I love it. Oh, my God. Icon is like amazing for those who don't know. like Icon is um, the story of this black uh, Superman type character. 
But in this version, the alien arrived on Earth during slavery, was found by slaves, and, you know, when he's found, he adopts to whoever he's found by. So he becomes a little black baby, they raise him as a slave, and then he starts developing Superman powers, lives all the way to the modern era where he becomes a kind of a conservative, you know, I made it, so why why the rest of y'all Negroes can't make it? not a Fox News type. Uh, Yeah, straight up, straight up, pull yourself by the bootstraps. And then he meets this young girl, Raquel, who is from the hood. You know, she finds out that he has powers, that he's like the Superman, and he's also rich and everything by this point. And she's like, yo, what the fuck? You know, what are you talking about? You know, like, help out. And so he becomes Icon, you know, this icon to African-Americans, and she becomes Rocket, his sidekick. And it's just one of the dopest comics ever, y'all. Like, I, I highly encourage people to go out and look for it if you can find it digitally. You know, I'm not sure if it's in trade right now or what's going on with it, but Icon and Rocket is just such a great series. But, man, pretty much any of the Milestone comics I would love to see. Like, people just know Static, you know, as Static Shock. And that's but, all who I really know. And, man, and I learned about Icon a few years ago, but I really only know Static. There's so, like, the Blood Syndicate, which is the story of this gang who all get superpowers at once. Man, Blood Syndicate has some of the best characters in it. Like, just, you know, the characters. Like, and that's the thing about Milestone. I remember when it first came out, I was like, a gang with superpowers? You know, like, Peter was talking about, it sounded like colors, you know, like some old bullshit, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, but it wasn't, you know what I mean? It felt real. Like, these characters were the real people that I knew growing up in the hood. You know what I mean? Growing up in the hood, you know, and they just had superpowers. So, yeah, anything from Milestone, man. Like, I would encourage anyone, like, just read any of their books you can get your hands on. They're all worth it. So good. So, yes. 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 <laughs> okay. Um this is this was a super packed episode, so we're gonna keep this one short this mm-hmm. week. Um, but that being said, still keep sending your questions. We love, love, love to answer your questions. As Ben I mean said, whether it be about geek culture, whether it's about pop culture, or whether it's about your own personal life, whether you want some advice, or whether you have some advice for us, go ahead. Whether or not we listen to you is another question. But mm. Please tell us your thoughts. <laughs> Share them with us. Contact at 4allnerds.com. You can also hit us up on the interwebs at 4allnerds on socials. And if you are on a special Patreon tier on patreon.com slash 4allnerds, you get a guaranteed guac question whenever you like. Yeah, and, and Patreons, y'all haven't been sending no questions yet, man. Y'all have not been abusing this power you have over there. <laughs> like, shit, if, if somebody gave me that type of power, I would beat the living life out of it. Like, it'd be, you know, all kind of... Treat, treat that power like a stepchild. Um, 